Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And we're the girls behind Comments by Celebs. And welcome back to another episode of our Kardashian bonus show. Hey, Jewel. Hey, kid. Can you believe that Isabel and I uploaded the Bravo episode early, the one week that we uploaded early because there's no Beverly Hills, and then the Rihanna House as a New York thing happens last night? No, I could not believe that. I just want you guys to know how much Isabel was losing it. I mean, we all were, but Isabel specifically, she was like, I think this is the best day of my life. Yeah, Isabel really lost it there. (laughs) I feel like a lot happened in this episode. You know what my favorite part about this episode was? What? Every single person in it was the absolute worst version of themselves. Yes. Yes. I think that's what's happening. And it was on full display. How did any of them okay this being aired? Every single person came off worse than the last. I know. And you know something? When we have episodes like this, that's what makes me really realize why the show was a success for so long because they had the unique capability of being the executive producer yet still let this shit go up. They really walk that line of lovable enough that they can throw in an episode where everyone is just terrible and still get away with it. Because if that was every single episode, no one would have watched the show. Let me tell you something. I was really not vibing with Scott. No. I'm sensing that what's happening right now is we're starting to ease into the territory where Scott just becomes so terribly unlikable. And I hate when that happens, but we're starting to get there. I'm a little nervous. I almost want to stop while we're ahead. I hate reliving it. It's crazy because I cannot even wrap my mind around the fact that we're dealing with the same person. In certain ways, you really can't because right now he showed no signs of being a good dad. And the one thing that he definitely is now, regardless of anything else, is a very good devoted father. But there are definitely sides of him that creep in and creep out. Not even said negatively. I think it's just more so it is what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so three main plot lines here. It's Caitlin and Chris with the whole financial situation and Chris controlling the money, which was really a trip, I gotta just tell you. Very much so. Then the continuation of the Rob and Adrian plot line, which that was also some shit. Actually, as I'm reading these, these all were pretty wild. Wow. They were all crazy plot lines. And then the last was just, obviously Mason is gonna be born any minute now and Scott is by no means taking parenting seriously, which... If you watched it, I'm sure you felt the frustration. And if you didn't, I hope that you will get that sense of frustration just from hearing us talk about it because it was very fucking annoying. I have to tell you, I was not vibing with Scott this episode, but Rob's plot line was so disappointing to me that it almost took away from how Scott was. So the first scene, they start out with Courtney and Scott showing Kim and Chris the room for the baby. And there's so much that has to be done, obviously, but The first thing that I thought of when I saw this was in the most recent season of Kardashians when they went back to this condo and they were showing Mason this room. And it was really wild to watch this scene knowing that we just saw Mason, who's currently in Courtney's belly in this scene, back in the same room. 
But that's also what I mean about Scott is like he's so uninterested in helping build this crib and so uninterested in getting the baby's room together. And then you flash forward to this version of Scott and he's the one that's so excited to bring Mason there and show him where they grew up and tell him all of these things about his childhood and when he was living in this room. Like it, it's the same Scott in so many senses, but the differences are beyond stark. No, they are. They are. So this next scene, this is when we're introduced to the Caitlin and Chris financial plot line. So Caitlin comes home from a presentation and she walks in through the door and Chris's first question is asking her for the check, which listen, I understand that certain parts of this episode were definitely dramatized. However, at the time, Chris was Caitlin's manager and I very much could see her being like this about her 10%. You know, you come home from whatever gig that you did, whether it's Caitlin or Kim or Chloe or Courtney, and if you're being paid in the form of a check, I'd like that immediately so I can take my 10% and deposit the rest. Like to me, that is exactly how I would envision it going down, show or no show. Oh, absolutely. And especially because Chris was the one that controlled all of the finances in the sense that she was the one that took care of anything, any bills that needed to be paid, any work that needed to be done. Like that was all on her. She was the one that was organizing and taking care of all of that. And therefore the check being given straight to her was not just her manager fee. It was also for running the home. Totally, totally. And you know, this is when Kaylin tells Chris that she's thinking of opening her own account. And Chris responds, your own account? What do you need your own account for? You haven't written a check since 1972. And Kaylin's just voicing that she feels like she needs to beg Chris for money And in her confessional, she says, Chris is so controlling, especially with money, which I think watching this, even if a lot of this was really intensified for purposes of the show, like I don't think that Chris was actually taking away Caitlin's ATM card. One, it made her look so bad. But second of all, I think if the roles were reversed and this was Caitlin doing it to Chris, we would be the first ones to call this out as financial abuse. Oh, absolutely. I mean, listen, it was definitely uncomfortable watching this episode having that lens in any sense, even if even if you're not looking at it as like the roles being reversed or you're not looking at it as necessarily financial abuse, quote unquote, which it it definitely was to an extent, it still was uncomfortable to watch. The power dynamic and the control and Caitlin basically begging to be able to have some ounce of control over her own finances, which is like to not be able to, especially when you're making money and you're bringing in money, there was like a very dehumanizing aspect to it. It was uncomfortable to watch and it did not paint Chris in any sort of positive light. Right. Which again, goes to your earlier point of it's crazy that she allowed this to air since I do think the roots of it were there, but I don't think it was this bad. I feel like they made it significantly worse just for entertainment value, which obviously for our sake is great, but They must have felt, if I'm trying to put myself in their shoes, they must have felt as a family like they had put in enough good content that showed that they were good people so they could kind of do this stuff every once in a while and it wouldn't make people turn on them. The way I felt that Chris probably viewed this is that maybe she thought that it painted her in somewhat of a positive light in the sense of like, I'm a woman and I'm controlling the finances of the house. Like I am taking control. I keep track of everything. I'm not just the manager. Like I run this entire house. It's a really like quote boss position to be in. And I'm sure that if she wasn't looking at it through the lens of financial abuse, she was looking at it as maybe something that she could take pride in because it wasn't the traditional roles that people have, especially when you consider her relationship with Robert and how she said, you know, he controlled everything. When they got divorced, she didn't have any money. She had never written a check. She didn't know how to do anything. So you can look at the way she operates her house now as some sort of an overcompensation for that and something that she maybe would have been proud of at the time. Yes. And I can understand that from her perspective. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I think you're so right. You need to have that context to further get where she's coming from. But even with that, it still doesn't justify it, even though I can understand where she's coming from. Oh, totally. I mean, it was it was not good treatment by any means, but I can understand why she allowed that to be in the show because that was what was confusing when I was first watching it, where I was like, this paints you in maybe the worst light I've ever seen you in. As an executive producer on the show, why are you allowing this to be a plot point? But if you look at it from the other lens, you can kind of understand what her thought process in allowing that maybe was. Right. And also, Caitlin was clearly down for this to be a thing. I mean, if some of this stuff was made up. She was going with it. So she also had that of like, oh, how bad could it be if Caitlin is willing? 
Right. Yeah. I don't know. Well, this this really I know we talk about some episodes, specifically some scenes that really represent the general dynamic of a relationship. And this is one of them to the nth degree. Oh, yes. So next scene, Courtney, Scott, and Rob are shopping for baby stuff. And Courtney is very pregnant at this point. Like she is going to pop within the next month. And Scott and Rob are just so wildly immature. You know, I get that they're filming a show. I get that they're messing around in the baby store for purposes of entertainment value. However, if there were no cameras, the exact same shit would be going on. Rob would be getting in the crib. They would not be taking it seriously. And all of the parts of Scott that I appreciate now of how funny he is now, he doesn't take things too seriously, are the exact same parts of him that infuriated me in this episode because I could sense the isolation Courtney was feeling. Absolutely. And one of the biggest differences in Scott now is that he still has all of those aspects, like you were saying, of being fun and this incredible comedic timing and not taking things too seriously. He's just adjusted those to know when it's appropriate to do that and when it's not. And at this time, he had absolutely zero ability to do that. Yeah, this was not chill. I mean, I think this is, you know, every heterosexual woman's worst nightmare that they're going to be pregnant with this guy's child and he is taking it so not seriously. And that's exactly what was happening. Oh, absolutely. It was almost, honestly, the reason that I found it so frustrating was because Courtney fought so hard to get the family's approval and she really took his side so much and made it clear, I'm sticking with this guy. I love him. You guys just don't know him in the way that I do. And here he was just proving their point. That was also something funny that happened with the show, especially in the earlier seasons, is that their character development to a sense or their plot points as characters would change so much episode to episode where kind of got confusing so basically the episode before you're watching scott and he's so attentive to courtney he's standing up for her to the family he wants all of them to be at the baby appointments he's so excited to tell them what the gender of the baby is like he seems like obviously one of the plot points was that he wasn't motivated in terms of his career but with the baby they were really pointing all signs of like scott's really in this scott's really excited about the baby and then you cut to the next episode and it's like scott does not care about the baby scott's immature scott can't get his shit together he's not taking anything seriously and it's like whoa 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 one episode ago i thought we were on the right track what's happening now that did happen constantly like they would bring up new plot points that were issues that they had that were never issues before. Like even the plot point of Scott not having a job and them thinking he was lazy and unmotivated was a plot point that was introduced in that last episode, but they used to make it seem like it was something that the audience had known this whole time. And you know something? They did a damn good job because even watching it now, but also watching it at the time, I don't think I ever felt like I was getting whiplash from going back and forth to all the different characteristics of these people that they were trying to show me existed. I just went with it. I was just a gullible, happy little naive viewer, and I still am. Yeah, we're just along for the ride. Right. All I want to do is be along for the ride. Uh, And we are. With just everything. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Okay, so next scene, it's Kim and Rob. And this is when the whole Rob-Adrian plotline really starts. Kim walks into Rob's room and he is going through pictures of Adrian on his computer and telling Kim that when Adrian was in India, she would take a picture every single day to send to him and he was just going through them. Which as you're watching this, I know it kind of feels very sad, like high school romance rom-com-y. I can't even express to you how much I believe this 100% in its entirety. Oh yeah. By the way, like this was not the look Rob thought it was. And obviously the rest of the family, as the episode progresses, is like, Rob, you're not going about this the right way. But I don't think any of them took it as seriously as they should have the way that he was acting towards the situation. No, because here's the thing. Rob, obviously, with the exception of Kendall and Kylie, in certain ways, he's the baby of the family, at least with you know Kim, Chloe, and Courtney. And I think him being the only boy and the baby – they were giving him a lot more passes than necessary and they were so tuned into his sadness and they felt for him, but they never took one second to consider like, this is borderline harassment. It was more than borderline harassment. She, it As the episode progresses, it gets to the point where Rob's admitting that he's calling her 60, 70 times in a day. Like it crossed a line to a point where 
it was taken so not seriously. But if we're actually talking about like the progression of Rob and Rob's struggles and Rob's issues, this should have been one of the major red flags that let the family say like, okay, something's not right here with Rob, like this obsessive behavior, the way that he's treating Adrian, like this is something that we need to be paying really close attention to. And all of them were kind of like, oh, he's just in love with her. He wants her back so badly. If he really loves her, then he should do what he needs to do to get her back. And it was something that definitely in retrospect was like, this is the start of something. Like this is the start of a very bad path. I could not agree more, especially because he cheated on her. Not that it would matter either way. You know, Even if she was the one that, quote, wronged him, this behavior still wouldn't be acceptable. It's not acceptable even in a platonic relationship. You don't call somebody 60 times a day and insist on seeing them when they don't want to see you, like point blank. That's just it. But he was the one that fucked up. And his desire to redeem himself took complete precedent over her well-being, her boundaries, anything that she was trying to set forth. It was, it was, um, listen, I am an early Rob Kardashian stan, obviously, but this did not do it for me. No, opposite of did it for me. Yeah. Just one more example of the family not really getting it and kind of enabling, even though Kim eventually comes to her senses. What she's saying to Rob is, listen, you never know what's going to happen. Me and Reggie got back together. We were only apart for two months. Courtney and Scott were apart for six months. They got back together basically just citing examples of reunions without condemning the behavior. Right. It it was almost encouraging of what he was doing. Oh, it absolutely was. And the last thing, just to really give you all a clear picture into his mindset, he says, and I quote, I just truly do believe she was the one for me and we were so compatible together. So I want to open up her eyes so I can show her that and treat her the way she should have been treated. Again, it's such an entitled mindset of, okay, now I'm ready to not be a dick and I need her to give me that. She doesn't need to give you anything. You, you are not deserving of anything at this moment. I understand that you care for her on some level. You love her. You're mad at yourself. I don't think you're a bad person by any means. But this attitude of thinking that you were deserving of a second chance when you were the one that wronged her, it, it's so off. And that's not, that's not a comment on him as a male. That's just clearly his beliefs of himself or of how relationships should work in general. Absolutely. Being the youngest for a while, obviously, like you said, Kendall and Kylie, they were born when Rob was already a little bit older. So was Rob was raised for most of his life as the youngest and the only boy in the family. And I think that a lot of his behavior definitely has to do with that fact. I think so too. It's, I don't know if, anybody else can relate to this, but if you know of families where there's older sisters and a younger brother, I think it'll be very hard for you to not draw certain similarities with Rob's behavior. Because for me, I every single time pretty much when watching a scene that really highlights the dynamic, I pick up on something that is similar to people that I know in that scenario. Yeah. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. So this is when Chris and Caitlin are outside and 
Caitlin's working on this helicopter, which this was certainly not a plot point because one thing that we know about Caitlin throughout all however many seasons of Kardashians is that she loves these quote toys. It's very much something that brings her happiness and brings her joy. And honestly, I personally can't understand or relate, but she probably wouldn't understand why I like some of the things I like. So to me, every time Chris gives her shit for this, it bothers me because who is it hurting? Exactly. Yes. Right? I I also can't help but see some of my dad in this. You know, the little things that make him happy. I'm sure you feel the same way with your dad. Just let it let them be. Exactly. Let them be. Yes. Right. So Chris comes outside, she's giving Caitlin a hard time, you know, saying how much of a waste it is. And Chris then asks Caitlin for $20 because she doesn't have any cash. And when Caitlin hands her the money, Chris says, you know what, I'm gonna take your ATM card also so you don't feel tempted. Kind of saying it in a way like, let me help you, you know, help me to help you. I don't want you to waste any more money. This is good for all of us. And Caitlin is just so not buying it. And Chris is so unbelievably dismissive of her desires, which I know was done in a way that was very playful and it was their dynamic. I get it. I get this is a show, but the way that I watched it now was not the way that I watched it back in 2010 or whenever this came out. No, because when you were watching it, A, you were younger and therefore nothing was that serious and you didn't have that lens of like A, understanding what financial abuse was and B, thinking anything of the show was that overly serious. So you're watching this and you're not thinking in that way. Now, obviously, we have that lens and we're older and we understand things differently, especially when it comes to finances. So when you're watching it, it's just all around uncomfortable. But something that's also really interesting about the dynamic that they set up in this episode and I guess about their marriage in general is like they really have this dynamic between the two of them where Caitlin is just afraid of Chris. Like Chris is absolutely in control. Caitlin doesn't have a say in the finances. Whatever she wants, she does not get because Chris is in charge of all of it. But in every other episode, you also have this kind of like competing dynamic where Chris wants to keep things from Caitlin because she knows Caitlin will be mad if she's doing certain things with the girls that Caitlin won't approve of. They hide things from Caitlin so they don't have to deal with the judgment. Like Chris will always say like, oh, when Caitlin finds out about this, like you're going to have to be the one to tell her because she's going to be so upset. So there's this really competing dynamic of like this episode and obviously other episodes as well, creating this power dynamic where Chris is the one with all of the control. And then other episodes where Caitlin has all of the control and they're all afraid to tell Caitlin certain things. Right. But it's, you're so right. And it's such a good point. And I think to me, it illustrates the difference in the type of control because with Caitlin, so much of the time, it's really just fear of her perception, not what she's actually going to do, just her perception of a situation or her judgment or how disapproving she would be. Whereas with Chris, oftentimes it's such more tangible, kind of like practical, fundamental parts about their life. Right. 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 It's just interesting. Like we have this dynamic that we're watching unfold where it's like they're both kind of openly afraid of the other and not in like a fear way that they would ever hurt the other. And I don't mean it in that way at all. But like Caitlin's joke around this whole episode, she's like, I'm scared to death of Chris. Like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get the ATM card back. I'm scared of Chris. And in every other episode you're watching, it's also like Chris being a little bit afraid to tell Caitlin of certain things. And it's like, what an odd dynamic you have going on here that you're both kind of quote unquote afraid to tell the other person. Right. How is that healthy? Well, as we find out in later seasons, it obviously wasn't. It really wasn't. It's it's actually very upsetting. I know. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. 
Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. So this is really the scene where shit hits the fan with Courtney and Scott. And I think this was a moment for me, at least, where my frustration with him mounted to a very high level of just like, get your shit together. Very much so, yes. Basically, she's in her confessional saying, I need Scott to start taking things a little bit more seriously when it comes to the baby, like getting the room together, reading baby books, just being more involved in what I'm going through. I think we need to do this together as a team. And so she wants him to help build the crib and he is just not having it. He's like, come on, why can't we just pay someone to do it? Not really understanding the fact that it's nothing to do about the money. It's that this is their first child. It's a big deal. It's the thing that could could be a special experience together if he was more willing. And the way that Honestly, aside from anything else, the way that he almost was so unaware or unwilling to acknowledge that she was nine months pregnant and like anything that she said needed to go, it, it was it was just infuriating. It was like hard to watch, right? I I felt it was hard to watch. I felt like I can't imagine a more isolating feeling if you're Courtney. It yeah, exactly. Right. And I think the thing that I was thinking is, you know, when I say that it's isolating, I understand that it a response could be, yeah, but she has a you know way larger family than your average person and people are so involved. And obviously Chris is willing to take on that role, but it doesn't matter. It's completely different. And I think that you know, her and Scott getting pregnant was a complete accident. And even though I genuinely think she was at this moment so excited about the pregnancy and felt really good and confident about it, there's always that little bit of hesitation and he didn't need to be doing anything to like emphasize that. No, of course. And something that Scott does a lot throughout this episode and throughout her pregnancy and like even the next couple of seasons is he misses the larger point. Like here was an example for him to step up and be like, listen, obviously we're both nervous about having our first child. It's a big change for us. But like, let me show you that I'm willing to do anything to make this transition so easy for both of us and make you feel supportive. And the crib was just like, the slightest thing that he could do to make her feel comfortable in that way. And he just completely missed the opportunity to. Totally. He was looking at it on such a micro level. Like, yes, of course the Kardashians could hire someone to build a crib. It wasn't about that. It was about an opportunity for you to step up to the plate. Right. So next scene, Chloe's at the old house, which again, talking in the theme of how they move so chaotically, this is confirmation that at this point, that old house still had not sold. And Chloe, I know she was living a lot at the hotel, but she was there for a decent amount of time. I still cannot for the life of me understand why they opted to stay in a hotel room rather than just stay at that house. I have to imagine it was something to do with proximity to the training facility. Oh, maybe. That could totally be. But still, like, right? Right. You're right. With the LA traffic, I never, I never ever think about things through the lens of traffic. Until we are sitting in it on the way back from Malibu and we're just like, what is this? This was this worth the spicy tuna, which by the way, it was. Of course it was. There's no, I never ever had that thought, by the way. <laughs> I want to tell you guys just one really quick anecdote. In my entire life, the best car ride I ever had was on the way back from Malibu with Julie. We were a little bit drunk, a little bit high sitting in the back of this Escalade and she put on the most fire playlist I have ever heard. And when I tell you, we were just thriving. Like when I think, Julie, I just want you to know that when I think about my happiest times, that car ride is up there probably in my top five. That is maybe the funniest thing ever. How much fun did we have? I mean, the best time. Anyway, so this is, you know, probably I would say the most dramatized and unrealistic seen as it applies to the Caitlin and Chris situation. But basically, Caitlin comes to Chloe and asks for $600 in cash so that she can help to get this helicopter, which I don't think there's any world in which Caitlin is actually asking Chloe for cash. But this is just used to illustrate the complete power that Chris had over Caitlin and how honestly sad the whole thing was to watch. I feel like we really have to emphasize this theme because it wasn't just that Caitlyn came and asked Chloe for cash. Caitlyn came and asked Chloe for cash in exchange for helping her do things. Like Chloe was like, okay, you can take out the trash and change all the lights at Dash and I'll give you $600, which is so goddamn illogical. Let me tell you something. That scene when Caitlyn is on the ladder at Dash and Kim and Chloe are watching just kind of I don't know, in awe and disbelief and sadness of the situation was a moment I 
could have lived my whole life without seeing. A hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. Like I knew it was fake while it was happening and it was still just sad. Also, what's even funnier or like sadder even is the assumption that Caitlin wouldn't have done those things without the money. Like obviously if Chloe called and was like, hi, there's a light out at Dash. Can you come and fix it? She would have been the first one there to help her fix it. Right. But the biggest assumption that overwhelms all of this is as if they don't have people there that do things like that for them. Like, of course they have a handy person on staff. That whole, this whole plot line is just wild to me. The fact that it was put in, the fact that we don't talk about this still. And even like, I have to say, Caitlin wrote about a lot of things in her book in terms of Chris and and the money. And a lot of it had to do more with the beginning of their relationship when they really didn't have obviously as much as they do now, or obviously as much as they do at this point in the show. And Chris was really taking control of those finances in a way of like getting everything on track and making sure they had exactly what they needed to, which like I totally understand. But it is interesting that in retrospect of that situation and like the hurt that Chris felt at the time after the book coming out, that this scene and this episode didn't make more of a resurfacing as to prove that point a little bit. Yeah. I I wonder, I wonder if it was because it was so clearly fake that maybe she thought it wouldn't land as strongly. I don't know. It's fun. There's, it makes me think of, there's like a John Mulaney standup where he talks about how certain things like being read in court just wouldn't go over well, even if you met that as a joke. And this is one of those things where it was like, no, Caitlin's lying. And then you replay the footage and it's like, okay, that was fake, but it definitely doesn't look good. Imagine reading that though in the book, having no context of like, in order to get $600 for my toy helicopter, I had to get on a ladder at Dash and change the light bulbs and do some light dusting. You'd be like, get the fuck out of here. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. So this next scene, Rob's at the house and we just see him calling Adrian, calling Adrian, again, getting her voicemail. And you know, we see him leaving a message saying, hey, it's Rob. I just wanted to call and say it was nice seeing you at the wedding and nice talking to you and everything. And in his confessional, he's just saying, you know, I've been trying to call her. I'm trying to make things right. She won't pick up. And it cuts to him just continually calling her. Like we said, really, I think what I would define as harassment at this point. And in his confessional, he's like, the reason I'm calling Adrian so much is just because I want her to see how much I truly care and how much I truly want to be with her. I want to get my girl back. And, you know, not to sound like I'm making this a bigger deal than it is, but when we watched this for the first time, what this came out in, let's say, 2010, roughly. So we were around, you know, 16, I would say, a pretty impressionable age. I think, and I have to think back to what I felt at the time, it was probably something on par with like, wow, you know, this is this is what I would want in a guy. Like, I want a guy that fights for me in this way. Luckily, that didn't impact my view. Not that one episode would, but I'm just saying, like, I'm so glad that one, you know, that this didn't impact the way that I uh, viewed relationships should be because it's, I think it's really unbelievably understandable for someone, a young girl to see this and think that this is desirable and not understand how not okay it really is. Yeah, totally. Especially based on the fact that the family wasn't reacting in that sort of way of being like, like, of course they were giving him a little bit of shit and they were like, oh, you're being crazy. But it wasn't like they were responding in a way that was like, Rob, this is not okay. You cannot do this to another person. It's not the romantic gesture you think it is. It's harassment. And like, obviously the family was doing that in a way to attempt to protect his feelings, knowing what a bad place he was in already with this breakup. But as the viewer, yeah, if you're at an impressionable age and you're not really understanding what's wrong with that, plus the fact that the family's somewhat validating it. Yeah, that's a really dangerous narrative. Yeah, it really is. I would so would have loved, not that I expected it, but I just would have loved, you know, hypothetically speaking, a confessional from her from New York, just to hear what she was thinking in this moment. Oh, me too. If I was her, he would have been blocked so fast. I think even at 14, I would have blocked. The fact that it was going through. Insane. Insane. So we'll talk more about that in one second when they're at Katsuya, but just something to keep in the back of your mind because this will come up later. At one point, Chris is with Chloe and Kim and they're in Chris's closet and she shows them this dress that she bought and they see the price tag is $4,000, which obviously sparks in their mind the hypocrisy that's going on between Caitlin not being able to buy a $600 part for the helicopter and Chris's you know, four or $5,000 Chanel dresses. So keep that in the back of your mind, but we're going to go to Katsuya for a second because it's... Rob, Scott, and JJ, which 
as I was watching it, the first thing I was thinking, like content aside, I love a scene where JJ is there when it's the three of them, because that is the most genuine it gets in the sense of this is a real friendship that they've had. And there's no part of JJ that's being on the show for the show. You know what I mean? Like he had no desire to be on it in that type of performative way. Whereas some of the other people, you don't really fully trust their motive. So I, I guess I just trust that the nature of their conversation is a lot more authentic and there's nothing that's being done for the show. I wonder if JJ and Rob have rekindled their friendship. I know they went through a really rough patch when Rob was like kind of at his worst and didn't go to JJ's wedding, but Scott was at JJ's wedding. So I wonder what the relationship is like now. And I wonder how much relationship Scott and JJ have now. Yeah, it's a great question. I, I hope that they have been able to, because there's nothing like friends that have known you from your earlier days. Right. Of course. But anyway, they're having this conversation and Scott's like, do you know how many times he called Adrian last night? And JJ goes 80 and Scott says 70. He told me. And they're both kind of just giving him a hard time. And Rob in his confessional says, JJ and Scott are constantly making fun of me, but little do they know, Adrian and I have a special relationship. Which the delusion was just jumping the fuck out. Clearly. Not that he's wrong in the sense that they did have a bond and there was an aspect to their relationship that clearly was special, but like that ship has sailed and they were actually not even giving you nearly enough shit. I kept expecting Rob to be like, it wasn't 70 times. They're exaggerating. It was only five. But like, he was like, no, it was 70. Do you know how overwhelming that is? Think about when you have five missed calls from your parent. I First of all, worst feeling in the world. Second of all, I hate talking on the phone so much that if I saw I had 80 missed calls from some, first of all, I would assume somebody was dead. No question. There is no scenario in which I would have that many missed calls from somebody and I wouldn't assume something was so unbelievably wrong. Yeah, you really don't like talking on the phone. I love it. I hate it. So next scene, Chloe and Courtney are at Smooch. And Courtney's trying to get in touch with Scott. He's not answering her calls. And she's telling Chloe that there's this breastfeeding class that she wants to go to and she wants him to go. Obviously, she's about to be breastfeeding in you know three to four weeks. And you just watch her get not only increasingly more frustrated, but I think increasingly more sad and anxious and Chloe, of course, steps in and says, you know, I'll go with you. But like I said, you can have the most supportive family in the world. It does not take the place of the person who you had, you know, conceived this baby with. Right. Especially when you're going into it with the expectation that they're going to be involved. It's a very different scenario if you were to have a baby or bring a child in this world and you go in with the expectation that your family is going to be your support system. That is totally one thing. When you go in with the expectation that the partner you're bringing the baby into the world with is going to be your support system and they don't follow through in that way, the familial support obviously is so important, but it's not the expectation that you had. And therefore it feels like a lot of abandonment at that time, I would imagine. A gazillion percent. And that also, and I know I said this earlier, but on top of the fact that she fought so hard to get the family to even let him back in, in their hearts kind of. And he's just proving their point exactly. It's kind of like, <laughs> I do not know why I just, should I even say it? It's so stu- such a stupid example, but I guess I'll just say well, it. Well, I have to know it. There's no correlation. I don't know why my mind just went here. But on Monday's episode, when we were talking about Machine Gun Kelly, when he did that tweet about, you know, if, if you don't see me post about a movie, it's because it was trash. And it's like, what are you doing? Megan is the star of the movie. Just keep your mouth shut. Like kind of, you're, you know, you're directly hurting the person that is supposed to be on your team. That's how I felt with Scott. It's like, you're not only making yourself look bad, you're making it so much harder for her because she fought for you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> please, please just like try to say that you get a little bit. I, 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 I get it. Like I, I do get it to an extent, but I also think that Megan wasn't so thrilled about the movie either. So like, it's not the greatest comparison I've ever heard. Like I would definitely leave the analogies to me and you like stick to your day job. Like I understand what you were going for. I just, as long as you understand what I was going for. Yeah. To an extent, I definitely do. (laughs) So this, I actually take back what I said earlier about being the most mad when it was the crib. This was the scene that I was the most mad at Scott. Oh, this was it. (laughs) For sure. They're at the house and- Kylie walks in and Caitlin's like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm just bringing out beers for Scott and Rob, which in general, these little moments of young Kylie where we see the role that she played among the siblings is always just fun to watch. The best. And in her confessional, Caitlin says, 
Sometimes I get really disappointed with Scott. Here he's got a pregnant girlfriend. Instead, he's over here with my little Kylie being a little barmaid, bringing beers out there so that he can work on his tan. It does not work for me. So Caitlin walks out and asks Scott why he isn't with Courtney. Scott goes, what? I mean, I'm always with her. Rob says, the guy needs a little breather. Scott says, she's doing some class that doesn't involve me today anyway. Caitlin goes, she said she didn't want you to go. Scott goes, of course not. She said she wanted me to go, but I don't need to go. Caitlin says, well, yes, yes, you do. You need to go. Scott, look, I know how to handle my lady and you know how to handle yours. We'll be just fine. Caitlin says, you know how to handle Courtney? Nobody knows how to handle Courtney. Scott goes, I handled her well enough to get her pregnant. First of all, iconic line. Yeah. Second of all, every single interaction between Caitlin and Scott seems like an episode of parental control. What a phenomenal reference. Like, especially in the last episode, there was something where where Caitlin was like, get this loser out of my house. And I was like, you stole that from an episode. I can't believe parental control wasn't a fever dream. No, because you have to watch it back and realize just how fake it was. Like, nothing about it was real, but I thought it was so real at the time. But, like, when you watch back the way the parents sound in their confessionals, it sounds exactly like Caitlin. It's, like, really dramatized, like, and you have my little girl out here doing things, and you're sitting here like a bum tanning at my house. And I'm like, this is an episode. Caitlin would have been amazing on parental control. Can we get really high and watch parental control and also next yeah, obviously I would love to. Wait, that's my dream. Okay, pencil, pencil me in for next week. <laughs> okay. Apartments.com believes the dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. And listen, we all have our non-negotiables in terms of what we really want when looking for an apartment. I know for me, natural light has always been really important. I just know myself and I am a happier person when I have that natural light throughout the day. And I also told myself that in my next place, I will definitely have a washer and dryer because you just can't beat that convenience. And I know it can be hard to find, but when you find it, I think it is so worth it. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit Apartments.com, the place to find a place. So Chloe and Courtney are at this class together and... You know, Courtney's just saying in her confessional that going to all these classes is making her nervous because it reminds her of all the information she doesn't know, which I've never been pregnant, but I definitely have heard that from a lot of people I know that have gotten pregnant of just like you have this overwhelming feeling of inadequacy before the baby comes, which I think is just so common and unfortunate that we feel that way. But I so could see that being the case for myself at least. And Chloe in her confessional saying that she thinks the pregnancy is starting to really hit Courtney and not only that in and of itself is it stressing her out, but on top of it, she's the only person in this class without their partner there. And I just think it is so deeply disappointing. It very much was. And you see her, I mean, next scene, she's ignoring him. You know, she is not down for it. She really said, I'm sick and tired of this. And he goes, you have a bad attitude. She said, yeah, because you ditched me in my breastfeeding class. She goes, ditched you when? It's a woman's breastfeeding class. By the way, that line fucking rocked me. I'm so annoyed with Scott that my blood is boiling and it's like 10 years after the fact. I know. I know. And Courtney says, we learned about other things. It wasn't just about breastfeeding. You just don't get it. What are you bringing to the table? He goes, everything. She goes, nothing. You're not helping with any fucking thing. I'm done. I'm so fucking done with you. And he tells her to relax, which again, worst thing you could ever do. And she goes, if you don't start helping me out and getting on my team, this relationship is over. Like, what part of him thought this was okay? Because you know what's weird about Scott at the time is that I do genuinely feel like a lot of the time he has very good intentions. Like, it's not like you're watching somebody who is an absolute zero every single second of the day. Like, there is a lot of genuine moments that he has. And then you have these times where it's such an extreme juxtaposition of that where, like, he, you would think that he has never cared about another human being in his life. Right? He really flip-flops. Very much so. So next scene, Kim calls Rob just to check in and see what's going on. And 
He's like, I freaked out and I called her 60 times, literally more than that from the house and from the cell. And she's like, you are being crazy. You know, you have to stop. And in his confessional, he says, I think if I show her I'm serious about wanting her back, I think she'll come back to me. Rob's like, I don't want to be with anyone but her. I don't want to even date. And I can't just be lonely and single anymore. Literally every single day I send her an email or a text and I'm not talking about just one. Which again, it's that entire sentence. There was nothing about her, what she wants, what she needs, what would be good for her. It's like, I am tired of being single and lonely. And so in order to do that, I'm going to harass this woman until she has no choice. And like, I just can't get on board with that. No, nobody should ever get on board with that. This is the first time that anyone in the family kind of like tells him he has to stop, by the way, when Kim kind of puts him in his place. Right. And even then, like it just wasn't harsh enough for me. Like I needed a little bit more tough love here. But I really think that that is a theme throughout the show. They they definitely are a little soft on him at times. Oh, extremely. I mean, and that's going to start to become very much a theme because – I mean, it's really focused more on him finding a passion in his job and the rest of the family feeling like he's really, quote, mooching off of their situation and has no drive himself. And this is when you kind of start to see that dynamic switch of like everybody else in the family saying like, Rob needs to get his shit together and Chris kind of being the one that's a little bit more protective over him. So obviously here what we're dealing with is a lot more like he is doing something just objectively wrong and no one is willing to understand the extent of that. But we're also getting into the territory of like the, all of this babying that we've done with Rob is definitely starting to catch up with him. Right. And that's why I think that you made a really good point of saying that this episode, you know, could potentially be marked as maybe we should be looking a little bit more deeper into what's going on here. Right. This behavior is not normal. Like, and I think that that was one of the things that maybe we didn't understand at the time and definitely the family didn't understand at the time where it was like, this isn't just a bad breakup and he's doing something wrong and maybe a little bit obsessive. Like this is a red flag of a much larger issue because I can guarantee that if this was happening like in my own life or with one of my friends and they were getting harassed 60, 70 calls every single day, multiple emails, I would say like, this is a situation that could potentially turn dangerous. And I'm not saying that that's what was the case with Rob necessarily. But when people start to exhibit behaviors like that, it's a really, really big red flag. There's something wrong here on a much larger scale than just like, I want my girlfriend back. Oh my God. I As you're talking, I was thinking of examples, which I'm sure if you guys may as well, either in your own life or with people you know, for me specifically, yeah, I'm just thinking of people that I know that have been in similar situations. And I know exactly to your point that my reaction was definitely one that had a lot more seriousness than anybody here was taking in. Yeah. So next scene, Scott comes to the house looking for Rob. Rob's not there. And this is when Scott and Caitlin kind of have this heart to heart where Caitlin says, you know, it's not just about you anymore. It's not about Courtney. You're starting a family and you need to be more understanding of that. And Scott kind of starts to come around and In his confessional, he says, being an only child, I never really did care too much about other people's needs, but I realize I'm not the most important person anymore and I can't be selfish. I need to think about my family. The level that Scott was taking it to, to me, is not directly related to him being an only child. I think that was like a little bit of a character flaw that he had going on, on top of maybe some selfish tendencies. I think it was like exacerbated by his also perception of himself and, you know, his just lack of seriousness. Oh, that's exactly what it was. So this is when they're at Kim's apartment. It's Kim, Courtney, Chloe, and Rob. And they basically just kind of stage an intervention of saying, you know, you have a major problem and you're obsessed with her. You need to stop. And he's like, no, she understands how I am. She doesn't think I'm crazy. And they're like, no, that's not what's going on here. You are really rooted in delusion. And Courtney's like, if you're meant to be together, you know, it'll happen. You don't need to try this hard. And Kim says, she knows that you love her. What else can you do? There's nothing else you can do. And in his confession, he goes, the love that Adrian and I had, it doesn't go away overnight. It's so frustrating that my own family doesn't even understand their own brother. Which, it's really wild to watch somebody be so disconnected from reality, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And when Chloe makes the point of like, well, she's in New York. What are you going to do? He's like, I'm going to go to New York. If I look like an idiot, I don't care. I'm just going to go. Chloe's like, you're going to go to her house? He goes, I'm going to go and I'm going to try to make things right. And Chloe says, well, maybe you need to go to New York to open up your eyes that you are not meant to be together. And he's like, well, I don't agree with that. But 
even again, not that I felt Rob himself was even remotely dangerous, but just in theory, if we talked about this without mentioning names and who these people were, here's a guy calling his ex-girlfriend 60 to 70 times a day. She's not answering. He's now going to get on a plane to New York, stay at a hotel and show up at her house. Are you fucking kidding me? No. See, that's the thing here. And even when they're saying to him, like, you're acting crazy, or maybe it's for you to realize that you're not going to be together, or that you're not meant to be together. At no point were any of them saying to him, like, can you imagine how Adrian feels right now being harassed on this level? Like, none of them ever flipped it around. Even in their approach of, like, trying to get him to stop, it was about his own well-being. It wasn't really like, can you imagine what Adrian is going through right now? I understand an argument back to that could be, well, of course, that's where their loyalty lies is their brother. And it's like, no, as a as a person, specifically as a woman, you have a responsibility to look at it from that angle. And I I hate to say this because I I think that they're such good examples to their kids and I have such a like profound level of respect for the families. Really, I, I really, really do. But you see in some of these episodes that the level of self-respect they demand as it applies to relationships is a little bit lower than it probably should be. And it's very evident in the way that they evaluate other people's situations because it's just natural. You filter everything through your own lens. And so if on some level they couldn't connect the dots, that's what was kind of happening here. Right. Fifty high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. So next scene, this is when Kim and Chloe decide to tell Caitlin about Chris's $4,000 dress. And they have this idea where they're going to go to the dry cleaner. They're going to take the dress and not give it back to Chris until she agrees to let Caitlin have some more financial freedom, which like, this was an OG prank, but a phenomenal one. You know what my favorite part of this prank was? Mm. Caitlin looked like she would have given up a million ATM cards to be able to have this quality time pranking Chris with Chloe and, and Kim. She was so happy. I have never seen somebody so happy to not have financial freedom. <laughs> I know. I, I really loved their relationship early on. Me too. So next scene, Scott is just building the crib. Courtney comes in and I think she's very pleased. And, you know, he's starting to take pride in the process, I think you could say, no? Yes, I, I he's, he's stepping up a little bit. So Chloe, Kim, and Caitlin, they get the dress from the dry cleaner. They're waiting in the car. Chris pulls up. They do this whole stunt with her. They're on the phone. Chris is ready to fucking kill them. Chloe is fully thriving because aside from how much she loves a prank, there's nothing that Chloe loves more than watching Chris squirm. Oh, yeah. That is Chloe's absolute peak. So Chris comes into the house. She's screaming. She doesn't want a scavenger hunt. She just wants the dress. And Caitlin really, I think, hypes herself up to say this line, hold it, hold it. Bitch, I want my damn ATM card. <laughs> and then turns to Kim and Chloe, was that good? Was I standing <laughs> up for her? <laughs> Honestly, like relatable. Like I feel like if I was watching my dad do something like that and he had hyped himself up so much to deliver a line in that way, he would have been very proud of himself too. And I also would have been really proud. Yeah. You know what? This this entire episode was so dehumanizing on certain levels to Caitlin that I'll, I'll take this one little line. Yeah. Let her have it. Anyway, they go through this like scavenger hunt back and forth through the house and they agree that they're going to give it at the same time. So she hands over the dress, she hands over the ATM card and all is said and done. But it was, <laughs> while dramatized, the feelings were very real. Right, exactly. So we go back to Rob now who's packing and Chris walks into the room, sees Rob packing. And again, just says, you know, if this is what you really want to do and this is what you think is going to get her to respond to you, then I think you should go. 
go tell her how you feel, you know, just know that you did everything you could to see if this would work. Like, what? Yeah, see, like, this is when Chris is really off. Like, at least the rest of the family is like, okay, it's a little bit of a red flag. Like, you're being a little bit crazy. Chris is like, you know what? If this is what you think you need to do, why don't you go on and stalk and harass this girl? And he, she literally says, I really do, Rob. I think you're doing the right thing. Yeah, he was not, by the way. Just one side note before the next scene to mention is that, you know, Courtney and Scott go to this Lamaze class and they – are being affectionate and getting along. And it just kind of to show us, I think, as the viewer, like everything's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. Like they, they really signaled that everything was going to be okay in the previous scene when uh, Scott gets the crib together and he puts the stuffed animals on the changing table. And Courtney's like, the stuffed animals is so cute. Like that was the attention to detail I really needed. I was like, the bar is on the fucking floor. No, the bar could not be lower. And by the way, they were fully gaslighting us because, as we found out very shortly, it was not all going to be okay. No, it. Was, I mean, and then and then it was, but there was a period of time where it was just not going to be okay. No, it like it actually couldn't have been less okay. <laughs> In retrospect, nothing was okay. <laughs> right, <laughs> there was nothing even remotely okay. Why are we pretending? I want to stop watching here because I think it's going to get to the point where it's so not okay that it's going to forever change my view of Scott. And like I'm operating in this forgetfulness that's making me really happy where I can just be like, yeah, Scott's dating a 20-year-old. Like at least he's an amazing dad. And like I love the person he's become. Like I don't want to lose that element too. Yeah, no, we're, we're it's going to dwindle, but it'll probably come back. Yeah, I mean, I have nothing but faith in my ability to forget. Yes, that's true. So this is the scene when Kim's driving Rob to the airport, again, enabling. And on the car ride, Rob gets an email from Adrian. Kim pulls over. And the email literally says, don't take this email the wrong way, but this is from the new man in her life. We're trying to start off on the right note, and you're really not making it easy. Her BlackBerry goes off every minute, and it's you almost every time. I can't imagine what you guys really have to discuss after all this time. It's honestly annoying and unhealthy for our relationship. I respect what you guys had in the past, but according to her, it's clearly over. And Kim makes a comment, which is like, you know, why can't she have the guts to tell you herself? Which at first glance, you know, you could think makes sense. Adrian owes that to Rob. But this is exactly like that famous tweet where if you're trying to get a guy to stop approaching you, he's much more willing to actually go away if you say, I have a boyfriend versus like, I'm just not into it because they say that like men respect the guy they don't even know more than they do the woman's requests. Obviously a generalization that it does not go for every man, but that's kind of what was happening here. Because if Adrian had responded and said, I don't want you to do it, he probably still would have come. However, getting an email from another man, I think was like the turning point he needed. Also, Adrian owes him nothing. Like he cheated on her. It's not like this was a period of time where they were in an in-between phase and they were maybe getting back together and they were just on a break and he wanted to get in contact with her. Like, again, none of this behavior would have been okay. But in that scenario, like maybe she would have owed him an explanation, quote unquote, saying like, you know, I'm just, I've moved on. I've decided to make this a definitive breakup. Like in this scenario, they were definitively broken up and she had no intention of getting back together. So the fact that either of them feel that Adrian owes Rob any sort of an explanation post-official breakup is mind-boggling to me. Yeah, I so agree with you. That's what we were saying earlier. They weren't, first of all, she didn't wrong him and they weren't on a break. Like, he fucked up. Also, by the way, like, complete side note here, the getting the email on the way to the airport, give them both an Emmy for this scene. And the, the dramatic pulling over. I believe that shit so much. I was like, wow, the timing here is impeccable. Imagine if he had gotten that email two hours later, he would have already been on the plane. I know. And you know something? When I rewatched it, I wanted to just stay in the, in the point of believing it. I understand. So Caitlin and Chris go to the helicopter store and she's buying this $3,000 helicopter. Chris throws down her credit card, buys it, gets a little bit erotic in there. They're making out. It's just like fucking bizarre, honestly. <laughs> No, that scene was fifth wave feminism. <laughs> it was really something watching the guys behind the counter. <laughs> it was a bizarre scene, but listen, in the end, Caitlin got her helicopter. Chris got to assert some sort of dominance by being the one to pay for it, and all worked out well for a short period of time. And then also when Chris you know, tells Caitlin that she was actually kind of turned on by her dominance in that moment, it's like you can't do this to a person. You can't literally 
rip all aspects of their like humanity and then tell them the one time they fight back that you were turned on by it. I <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Last scene, Chloe, Rob, and Scott are together, and Rob tells them that he has a date with an Armenian girl that he met at Katsuya. She gave the number on uh, like a little piece of paper or a business card or something, which, wow, what a what a throwback in general. A lost art, right? Oh, wait, you did that this morning. <laughs> I am dying. Oh, my God. That's so funny. That's so funny. Oh, my God. I'm keeping that in. Can I? And it's up to you. <laughs> Okay, anyway, uh, Rob's going to go on the state. All's well that ends well. And I'm just glad that I'm glad that we're out of this episode because I was increasingly disliking every family member more and more. I don't know if it's going to get better from here on out, kid. Yeah, I don't know, guys. I know we're only on season four, episode five, but like maybe we'll come on next week and be like, you know what? We're actually going to end it right here and just fast forward to season 17. And I'll tell you what we're not ever doing is we are definitely never doing recaps of when Courtney and Scott are in the Hamptons. Oh, don't don't remind me, Julie. I'm so glad this episode's over, even though I loved it so much. I know, me too. Okay, well, we love you guys so much. We'll see you next week on Monday for our regular episode. And I think that's it. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.